0: Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamo Gordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, take your Bible, go to 1 John chapter 2. This morning we're going to look primarily at verses 3 through 6. We're going to be all over the place. Um, You have a few uh, scripture references that are in your notes Uh, Anything else you're welcome to either if you want to try to play Bible drill with me uh, Be my guest or you can just write the references down That's why I put all my extra ones in my notes so that i'm not flipping back and forth through my Bible trying to figure out Where on earth I am Uh, But this morning we're going to address what I think is really one of the central questions for believers Um, And that's simply this how can I know that I'm saved. How, how can I have that assurance that I'm saved? Um, as Billy, Billy Graham has said that millions of believers are not really sure that they're saved. Now, now maybe you're in this same boat. Maybe you'd say, you know, I've, I, I I remember uh, coming to a point where I trusted in Christ as my Savior. Um, maybe, maybe walked an aisle, prayed a prayer. Maybe maybe was baptized. Um, but but just. Through life then, there, there have been some things that have caused some doubt to well up. Maybe maybe there was a particular sin that you kept struggling with, and that, that you were given the impression or you thought that once you came to faith in Christ, that, that kind of struggle went away. Maybe there was some stuff that happened in your life that you'd say, you know, if, if God was if God was really, if I was saved, if God was working in my life, why did this thing happen. And, and really, uh, throughout the book of 1 John, so over the next several months, he's going to address this a few times about how we can know. This morning, um, we're going to look primarily at the way that we live and how our lives can give evidence that we are saved. Uh, now, that always kind of makes me nervous. Because my my fear is that you're not going to hear what I'm saying. You're going to hear what what maybe you've heard in the past. And that is that um, in order to uh, be saved or in order to continue to merit God's grace, you have to live a certain way. Um, That is that that's false, uncategorically false. Because the Bible makes clear you were saved by grace. Grace simply means something you didn't earn through faith, by us placing our trust in Christ. Uh, and then, because we're saved, we live a certain way. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, is our obedience and how our obedience gives evidence to, uh, to the, the faith that we have. So if you will either turn with me to 1 John chapter 2 or read along on the screen, let's stand together and read the word that the Lord has given us this morning. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. This is what it says. This is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him, and yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for the chance to gather together as your people and to open up your word to us. This morning, will you show us what it means to walk as Jesus walked? That as we look at your word, you would begin to uh, reveal some sin in our lives that that we need to confess, first of all, and then we need to allow you to come in and, and do some work to root that out knowing that we're never going to be completely perfect, will you help us to be people who are continually being shaped and molded into the image of Christ? Show us how to do that this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, thank you. You can have a seat. So, so, so as I said, one, one of the big questions or the big question we're addressing this morning is how can I know that I'm saved? Uh, interestingly enough, so in the, in the five chapters that are in 1 John, John's going to use this word, know, uh, 30 times. And he's going to use the phrase, uh, that you may know, or something similar to it about 15 times in these five verses. In other words, I think John's trying to tell us something. And that is that he wants us to know, as followers of Christ, he wants us to have confidence. He wants us to have assurance that we've been saved. See, I, I don't think that God wants you to go throughout your life wondering if you're really saved. Or if you've somehow out-sinned the grace of God. Like, I don't want you to, and I don't think the Bible wants you to constantly be wondering in your head when you sin, like, like, is that my last mark? Is that the last demerit before I'm kicked out of God's class? Is, is that it? Did I just out-sin the, the cross? And the answer to that, of course, is always no. He wants you to have confidence that you're saved. He wants you to to know for sure that you're saved. And and we see this a couple places throughout the Bible. Paul, writing uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says this. Look, he says, we've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. So you see there, he says, uh, we want you to know something. We want you to understand what's been freely given to us. By God. And then he's going to go on and explain the gospel. He said, we don't want you to go through life wondering. We want you to know this for sure, that you can understand it. Uh, near the end of John's first letter, which we'll get to, you know, like in February or something. But he says here in 1 John 5:13, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And then Romans eight thirty eight and 39, which I think is, is one of the, the clearest examples that we have in Scripture of, uh, of God saying to us, listen, no, you are you are secure in Christ um, Paul writes this, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Maybe your translation says there nothing else in all creation. I love that. Because Paul like lists all these things, right? Height nor depth, angels nor demons, not not things present nor things to come, and, and just in case I left anything out, nothing else. Will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, so so God does not want you walking through your life constantly wondering, "Am I still in the kingdom? Does God still love me?" Or, or maybe even a, a bigger question, because so, so let's be honest, right? We understand what it means to love somebody that you don't really like, right? So I think I think universally we understand. Well, okay, I have to love this person because. God has commanded us to love your neighbors and love your enemies, right? So I've got to love them, but I don't have to like them. And so I think a lot of times we get that idea that that's kind of how God sees us, right? Well, you know, I I'm God, so I don't have a choice, so I've got to love them, but I don't really like them. And I, and I think what one of the things I would like to convince us of this morning is that, no, God, listen, if you are a follower of Christ, if you are in his kingdom, God not only loves you, God likes you. And, and, and I think it's safe to say that God is not disappointed in you. Now, do we have, do we all have stuff in our life that, that shouldn't be there? Of course we do. But just as we looked at last week with the, uh, with the illustration of the courtroom, every time Satan brings something up against you as a believer, Christ is standing right there saying, No, 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 but I, but I paid for that. that. That's taken care of. That's not on their record anymore. That's been wiped clean. And we stand before God Blameless, and so the trick now is to uh, walk in God's grace in such a way that our lives begin to more and more uh, show off or exhibit this standing that we have before God. And as we do that, as as you begin to change, as uh, your affections change, as your actions change, that can give evidence to you and to those around you that, that you're saved. So here's what I mean by that, okay? So, so if I'm saved, the Bible says this. If I'm saved, I will obey Christ's commands. We see this in verses 3 and 4. This is how we know him, or this is how we know that we know him, is, what, is the way my translation puts it. This is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commands. The one who says, I've come to know him, and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. I, I like John here because he's not really mincing words. John has a tendency at times to be kind of poetic. Here, I think he's being as straightforward as possible. This is how we know that we know him. If we keep his commands. If we do what he's told us to do. And again, I, w- I want you to understand, listen, you're not going to do this perfectly. So don't, don't lay that expectation on yourself. Oh man, I, I, I blew it again. can't believe I, I did that. No, no, are, are you walking consistently? In, in a way that's keeping Christ's commands, or are you walking consistently uh, in, in a way that would deny his commands? Uh, so, so John 14, 15, this is what Jesus says, and he, again, he makes it pretty clear. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. So, so think really quickly about, about um, a child-parent relationship. If you had a child who swore up and down that they loved their parents and yet they disobeyed every single little thing that their parents told them to do, would we not question the depth of that, of that love? Obedience is a sign of love, right? If I ask Noah, and he's not in here so I'm going to pick on him, if I ask him to go clean his room and instead he goes and trashes his room, that we have an, we have an issue there, right? We have a disconnect. Now, is he going to pick up his room perfectly all the time? No. Are there going to be times that instead of putting his socks in the dresser, he puts he leaves them on the floor two feet from the dresser? Yes. Will there be times that I respond in less than loving kindness to him? Yes. Okay. So the issue is not whether or not you're you're being perfect, you're 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 keeping these perfect. Like I said last week, if that's your goal, what you're going to do is end up either continually frustrated uh, with your inability to keep God's commands perfectly, or. You're going to kind of build your own list of commands that are really important and disregard those that you don't think are important. And you'll live yourself with a checkmark Christianity. Man, look at how good I'm doing. And you're going to prop yourself up while looking down on others who aren't keeping your list of commands. While completely ignoring the glaring arrogance and pride that's creeping up in your life. Um, and then he goes on and says this in verse four, right? The one who says I've come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Uh, Titus, uh, in, in Titus 1.16, we have this as well. It says they claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient and unfit for any good work. Uh, I, I remember very clearly uh, when we were in the Lubbock area, I remember, I remember landing in a plane at Lubbock, and, and I'm not really one to overhear, like, like to eavesdrop on conversations, but there, there were a couple of ladies right behind me who were just talking so loudly that, like, you couldn't help but eavesdrop. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I mean, it was, it was impossible to ignore them. And and I remember this, this they were having a conversation about um, their lifestyle, which was less than Christian, and then this one girl says, you know, don't get me wrong, I love God, but I'm going to live my life this way. You know, so, so, so in other words, what she's saying is, look, I might go to church occasionally. I might sing some songs. I'll, I'll claim to be a follower of Christ, but I'm not going to live the way he's called me to live. And, and to take that a step further, what she was really saying is God said do this, I'm doing this, and I don't care. As we looked at a couple of weeks ago, what, what, what they're proclaiming even a step further than that is, and God's okay with that. God's okay with me completely living a lifestyle. Not not that I'm slipping and falling, not that I'm trying to walk in righteousness and, and not doing a very good job, but just where you get to the point and you say, I, I don't even care anymore. I, this is what God said. I love him, but this is how I'm going to live my life. And the Bible would say, no, no, you absolutely cannot do that as a follower of Christ, because if I'm a follower of Christ, if I've been saved by grace, I'm going to... Live my life in such a way that I'm I'm wanting to obey what He has called us to do. So so here's the truth, okay? You can't separate knowing God from loving God. So you can't you can't separate, as a follower of Christ, you can't separate head knowledge about who God is from loving him. But here's the next step of that. You can't separate loving God from obeying Him. Those those two things are absolutely connected. Otherwise, we're doing exactly what it says in Titus. We're claiming to know him, giving, giving lip service to him, and yet our lives are completely denying what we've said. So, so uh, again, let me, let me clear this up as well, make, make this absolutely clear. We don't obey so that we'll be saved. We, we don't obey in order to earn grace, in order to earn forgiveness, Rather, we obey because we are saved. You don't obey to be saved. You obey because you are saved. So then we have to understand this, this relationship between faith and, and obedience or good works, as the Bible put it. So, so the Bible makes clear we're saved by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace, uh, for you're saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Okay, so right there, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You you didn't do anything to earn it. It's a gift. Not by works. You, You didn't do anything for it so that you can go around and boast. No, boasting is excluded here. But then look at what he says in the very next verse, in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So we just talked about grace, and now he talks about works or obedience. We're saved by grace through faith. It says, not from yourselves, it's God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. See, those follow faith. The the good works, the obedience follows faith. And in fact, there we don't even work hard, we, we don't have to work very hard for them. Why? Because God's prepared them ahead of time that we should walk in them. God's laying the foundation for your life that you can then walk on. And then James 2.17 says this, Faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. Faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. So our obedience gives evidence of our faith. So, uh, so that's the first thing, right? If I'm, if I'm saved, I will obey Christ's command. Secondly, he's going to say that if I'm saved, I will keep the word of God. We see this in verse 5. Whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love, is God, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. Okay, so so if if I keep his word, the love of God is made complete. Now, now that love of God can mean either God's love for us, that, that as we keep his word, his love for us is made complete. Or I think uh, more accurately here, it's saying that, that our love for God is made complete as we keep. His word. Uh, so, so what does he mean by his word? When he says that, when he keeps his word, what, what's he getting at? Well, in this context, then, word is synonymous with his commands, what he's told us to do. Well, then how do I know what God's told me to do? He told us. He wrote it down for us. Uh, and this is what the Bible says about itself, right? Psalm 119, which, by the way, all of Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, is all about the word of God. A couple of really key verses for us here that, that help show us what it means to keep the word of God. Psalm 119, 11, I've treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. So, so as we read God's word, as we study God's word as we meditate on it, which isn't just a, a fly-by reading, but actually spending time and, and dwelling on what it means for us, and as we memorize God's word, we'll begin to see our hearts transformed, particularly as followers of Christ, because if you are a follower of Christ, if you're one who's turned from sin and trusted in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you who's going to be providing like a running commentary for you while you're reading the word of God. And God's word transforms us. And Then Psalm 119.105 says this, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. And I always like to point out here, don't, don't think uh, big halogen uh, spotlight here. Think, th- think a hand lantern. In other words, the word is not meant to provide you like this glaring daylight brightness light to, to light your path so you can see the next 500 yards in front of you. No, it's, it's going to show you the next two feet. It's going to show you the next step to take. And as you take that step, it's going to illumine your next step. And, it'll, and, and as we walk By faith, not by sight, God reveals to us one step at a time. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that, right? So as we keep his word, look, if God were to to show you the next 30 years of your life and just kind of lay them out there and say, okay, here's, here's where you're going. You just you just follow this plan. Here, here's your blueprints for your life. You just, you just follow this plan. You, you'll be set. That, that would do a couple of things to us. For one, I think it would blow our mind that we would maybe drop on the spot, right? Secondly, what, we would have no cause to trust him, right? He just laid out his, his path for me. Cool. All right. Thanks, God. See you in glory. That, that's the end. No, no, we we keep his word, and as we do, we grow in our faith, we grow in our trust, we grow in our not only our knowledge of him, but our experience of him. And we're able to say to others, hey, look at what God's doing in my life. I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where I should be. I know I'm not where I'm going to be, but praise God, I'm not where I was. And this is how God's moving me. Slowly, and then we can say, and that's what God wants to do in your life as well. All right, so then what does it look like to keep his word? If we're talking about keeping his commands here this morning, we're talking about obedience, what do we do? This, This essentially, I think, goes back to the big question that everyone asked at some point or another. What is God's will for my life? Now, usually in that we mean, well, who am I supposed to marry? Or what's my job supposed to be? Where am I supposed to live? Uh, Do I wear, I have have a friend who says it this way, do I wear wear a red shirt or a blue shirt today? And if I take a left when I'm supposed to take a right, does that throw off God's plan for my life? And and am I then living in like some plan B for my life where where I've I've missed God's plan A? Here's, Here's the answer to the question of what God's, plan, God's will is for your life. 1 John 3, 23. So again, we're going to get to this later on as well. Now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. There's God's will for your life. That you believe in his name. In other words, that you are saved, that you turn from sin, you trust in Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. There's God's will for your life. Sounds kind of like the great command that Jesus gave, right? When the the guy came to Jesus and said, what do I do? He says, love God, love other people. We're going to look at that in a second. I don't want to get too ahead of myself. So then, first step as a believer, what do I do? So if I'm a follower of Christ, then what what do I do? Where do I start? The Bible tells us that too, Acts 2.38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the believer, the first step of obedience is baptism. So, so if, you, if you say you're a follower of Christ, if you'd say, yeah, there, I reached a point where I turned from sin, where I trusted in Christ, uh, but, but you haven't taken that first step of baptism, my question is simply, what are you waiting for? Well, I feel like I need to, maybe you'd say, I feel like I need to know more. Uh, listen, I, I, think, I think knowledge and knowing about God and knowing who God is comes through our obedience to him. And the more you obey, the more you're going to experience him and the more you're going to know, not just about him, but the more you're going to know him. So if you're here, man, and you say, hey, now I've never been baptized, man, what, what are you waiting on? Maybe you're here, you've been in a tender for a while and you've been slow to, to, to cross that line of membership for whatever reason. I know, I know some of us are only here for a time. That's, that's, the, that's the, uh, the reality of living in a military community, right? You might be here for months. In some cases, might be here for weeks, but my question is why, what, what keeps you from taking that step and joining your life to a to a body of believers and saying, while I'm here, this is who I want to pursue Christ with. You know, if you're here and you, you've been attending, but you're not giving, you'd say, I'm, I'm, I'm not ready to take that step yet of, you know, joining a church and, and, and or even uh Contributing financially, I would ask, well, what are you waiting for? What's keeping you from taking steps of obedience as you can? What keeps us from obeying Christ? Because again, as we trust him in the things that he's commanded us to do, we come to know him, which causes us to trust him more, which causes us to know him more. And here's the last thing. It's, it's pretty simple. If I'm saved, I will live as Christ lived. Now, now wait a second. So the Bible says that, that Jesus had no place to lay his head. So does that mean that i got to sell my house and sell my car and, and that i got to have no place to, to live? No, not necessarily. I think there are some people for whom God is literally called to, to leave home, right? That's why we have people on the mission field. Because they've packed up. They, they've, they've felt that call in their lives to pack up life as they know it. And to move to some strange land. That's why I'm in New Mexico. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Relax. I'm a, that joke kills in Texas. I'm telling you. That, that's, I'm kidding. That's. <laughs> but, but look. Look. Listen, let me be real honest, I, I never wanted to leave Texas. I thought Texas was as close to the promised land as God created uh, on earth today, all right? And, I, and so when I'm married a New Mexico girl, I, I honestly thought I was rescuing her, right? Like, I'm saving you from New Mexico. Like, it's fun to go visit. New Mexico has the mountains. We'll go visit. And, and then all of a sudden, I found myself interviewing for a church in New Mexico, and not like Albuquerque, because that's all I really knew of New Mexico, right, was, was Albuquerque. No, man, middle of nowhere. A place that, that the only thing we knew is that you turned left to, to get to Michelle's parents. In fact, I remember when, when Dr. Bunt sent me an email and said, um, hey, I've sent your resume to Clayton. I went, nope. Again, I knew exactly where it was. We turned left to go to, to, to go to Michelle's parents there. I knew how far away from everything in the world it was. I told Michelle, I said, hey, um, Dr. Bunch just sent my resume to Clayton. And guess what her response was? No. No. I had a lot of resumes. I said, don't worry about it. You know, we're not, we're not going to go to Clayton. Two weeks later, they were the only church that called us. We had had resumes out for months. Clayton was the only church that contacted us. And we ended up serving there for three and a half years. And and listen, as I look back on it now, without going to Clayton, I would not have been here. And now, oddly enough, this Texas kid can't ever see myself being in full-time ministry in Texas again. Why? Because, now, now listen, if I'm talking about living the way Jesus lived, l- let's be honest, right? We still have a house. We've got two cars. We're not rolling in money, but, but we're, not, we're not struggling to, to pay bills either. But I'm here because I trusted that, that God had a plan that was bigger than what I could see. Jesus held tightly or held loosely to the things of the world, held tightly to God's plan for his life, even when he wasn't excited about it. Remember the night in the garden before he's arrested? He's praying and the Bible says that he's sweating drops of blood, which is a documented medical condition that happens to some people under immense stress. So we see Jesus here, not not just kind of happy-go-lucky, or not as a lot of the pictures paint him with this, you know, kind of peaceful look on his face with the the glowing crown around his head. No, Jesus is wrestling in this moment. And remember, he prays, God, if there's any other way, let let this pass for me. If if, if, If in your sovereignty there is another way for this to happen, let this pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's what it means to live the way Jesus lived. And then we do what we do what he told us to do. Matthew 22. Again, this, we talked about this verse a while ago when, when, when this scribe, this lawyer comes up to him and says, hey, what's the most important command in all the law? I've tried keeping them all. I've tried keeping the ten. I'm not very good at that. So just boil it down to one. If I can only keep one command, what is it? And Jesus says this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's why the first part of our mission statement, or our, our, little, our little mission statement here at First Baptist Church is love. There are two parts to that. We love God completely. All your heart, soul, mind, one of the Gospels adds strength. In the second part, we say we want to love others compassionately. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Love others. How do I love God? We know that we love him if we keep his commands. It boils back to obedience. We're going we're to dive into love a whole lot more next week. That's where he goes in, in verses 7 through 10. Uh, so, so we're going to get there, but in the meantime, we, we, we exhibit our love for God. We show our love for God as we do the things that he's called us to do. Paul said that love does no wrong to a neighbor. He says love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Love God. You can't do that unless you've come to faith in Christ. You can't do that unless you've experienced the forgiveness of sins. Paul in Romans 3.10 says that no one's righteous, not, not even one, no one seeks after God. Therefore, we need to understand that God sent Christ to save us, and the Bible says that just the right time. While well, we were still sinners, we were still messed up, he sent Christ to, to die for us. Listen, if you're a follower of Christ and that doesn't cause a love for the Father to swell up in you, you need to re-examine your salvation experience. Because to understand that I was lost. the The Bible says you and I weren't even looking for God. And he arrested our attention. He grabbed a hold of our hearts. And brought us to saving faith in Christ. And then to love others means we show the love that God has for us, the love that we've experienced through God to other people. Why? So that they might experience the same thing that we have. So we've talked about walking in the light. This goes right along with that. If I'm a follower of Christ, how will I live? I'll walk in the light. Meaning in in the purity and the righteousness that the gospel calls me to have because of the the sacrifice and, and the penalty that my sin cost Christ Jesus, and then I'll walk in love. So, so as I asked you earlier today, I'll, I'll ask you again, what's keeping you from walking in obedience? What, what are the hangups that you're saying, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll do this, but, but um, I'm going to kind of box this off, I'm, I'm not going to follow Christ in this area of my life. just a minute, we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing just a couple of verses. We're not going to drag this out real long, but maybe the Lord's brought up some areas in your life where you know you need to trust him this morning. You haven't. Maybe he's brought up some, some steps in your mind that you, that you need to take. Be that baptism, saying for the first time and you know, de- declaring publicly through the, the way that Jesus showed us that you're a follower of Christ. Saying, man, this is the place that I want to join my life as a follower of Christ. And these are the people that I want to pursue Christ with. Maybe simply showing you some areas in your life that you need to, you need to get some accountability. You need to have some, some folks in community come around and say, hey, here's, here's an area where I'm struggling and I don't want to struggle. I, I don't want to do this on my own anymore. I want you to help me walk in the light. I want you to help me live in righteousness in this area. However the Lord's leading you. You respond. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you first and foremost, for the grace of the, the grace that you've shown to us in Christ Jesus. I know anytime I talk of obedience, I'm, I'm reminded of those areas that, that I fall so short in. It causes me to be immensely grateful for the grace of Christ Jesus. And the fact that because of his perfect life and his sacrifice on the cross, you don't hold those things against me, but they've been bought and paid for. So for those of us in the room who are followers of Christ, who've placed our faith and trust in him, who've turned from sin and trusted in Christ, will you give us the freedom that comes from knowing our sins are forgiven? Not freedom to live however we want Not to be free to sin, but to be free from sin, knowing that we can live a better way. Help us to not fall back into old patterns. Help help us to not, as children of God, to live as children of the world anymore. We, We know, we've experienced that we're not good at this on our own at all. We need your help, we need your strength to pull us through. We need your grace and your mercy upon us every day as we as we slip and fall time and time again. Help us to live as children of the light and help us to walk in love toward you and love toward those around us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. If you'd like to contact us, please use the contact us form at www.fbcalamo.com to get in touch with us and let us know how we can pray for you or serve you. If you have a question for Pastor Kyle, you can contact him by email at kyle at fbcalamo.com. Thank you for listening. God bless you and have a good week.